You're listening to The Dollop. Each week, I do... <laughs> each week. <laughs> read no. A, uh, no, whatever. a story from American history to my friend, Gareth Reynolds. <laughs> Who has no idea what the topic's going to be about. What? I'm going to leave that on there. <laughs> no, I have to take it off right Okay, now. all right. It's up to you. Uh, I don't even know. <laughs> it's almost so fun. It's almost. I mean, it's it's the battle of uh, funny versus prudent, <laughs> and I think funny wins. God, you want a little hit of dude? I'll do one bump. People say this is funny. Not Gary Gara. Dave, okay. Someone or something is tickling people. Is it for fun? And this is not going to become the tickling podcast. Okay. You are Queen Fakie of Made Up Town. All hail Queen Shit of Liesville. A bunch of religious virgins go to mingle and do what? Pray. <laughs> I want to thank all of our subscribers at Patreon. This podcast is brought to you by our subscribers. We thank each and every one of you who donate. You help us a lot. Because this podcast is a lot of work. You're the wind beneath our podcast wings. You are the wind beneath the pod. You have a stunning voice. Thank you. Uh, I, was, uh, I was a young uh, Mariah Carey. That's interesting. My uh, buddy opened for Mariah Carey for 12 shows. Never uh, met her. Seriously? Yeah. That's amazing. I was like, what was she like? He goes, I don't fucking know. Oh, I know. <laughs> Never saw her. That's she didn't incredible. give a fuck. Yeah. What a... what a f- Well, she's very insulated, shockingly. But who can just go say fucking hi to the guy who ah. for you? Oh, absolutely. Go say hi. Yeah. <clears throat> well, January 8th, 1831. I mean, it's already oh, out of the bag. Right. <clears throat> John Stith Pemberton was born in Knoxville, Georgia. His father was James Clifford Pemberton. Pemberton grew up and went to local schools in Rome, north of Atlanta. He studied... Herbal medicine and pharmacy at the Southern Botanical Medical College at 17. Then, in 1850, when he was 19, he received a license to practice on Thomsonian or botanic principles. Okay, so, okay. So, herbal remedies. Yeah. Now, Thomsonian medicine was based on the works of Samuel Thompson. He believed, quote, Fever is nature's effort to throw off disease and therefore ought to be treated as a friend and not as an enemy. As is the practice of physicians. Cuckoo. Okay, not the worst idea considering the time, though. No. I mean, fevers do exist for a reason. Well, no, and actually most antibiotics do come from nature. What? What? I think I like what this guy's doing. (laughs) (laughs) It's fun when I stare at you and you just kind of unravel. Yeah. I think you're supposed to think things like that. Thompsonian treatments involve steam baths. So someone has mm. a fever. And then I'm you... already in, baby. So Spa you... day? Yeah. No, you have a fever of 103, and then a dude puts you in a steam Put me in the steam room. Cool me down, baby. <laughs> How about a hot tub? <laughs> your arm hurts? Let's kick your arm. Uh, he would give uh, herbal remedies like bayberry, hemlock, witch hazel, raspberry, water lily, rosemary, ginger, and cayenne pepper. Mm. These were all supposed to, quote, hold heat in the stomach or induce vomiting. Which okay. Like the which opposite is... things. Right. Is the okay? You either gonna it's really gonna make you hot in the tummy or make you vomit. You're gonna get really sick from our cure. 
Pemberton practiced medicine at first in Rome, Georgia. Then he, where he performed a few eye surgeries. I don't. That's all it said. <laughs> that's all it said. That's that. That was the whole thing that I. I'm gonna find. go ahead and be on rec. I don't think that's good. I think any eye surgery performed in 1830 was fucking horrific. Ugh, I imagine it's just taking out the eye. That's all I can think of. That they and even doing. then, I I cannot imagine. They'd just be like, "Well, your ear's gone. What's next?" No, his eye. Oh shit. Oh. Hey, uh, gotta take your eye out. Who's <laughs> just you? Let me get my thumb in there deep. But me foot hats. We're taking the eye out. Don't worry, you got a troll lives in your eye, makes your foot ache. Raise me spoon. <laughs> gotta put a little ginger in there now. Here we are, and now I'm gonna eat the ginger. You're better. Thanks for coming to Monsters. <laughs> <laughs> Next, he moved to Columbus, Georgia. At this point, Thompsonian medicine was no longer popular. So it was, you know, it had a little flare-up. When he was in Columbus, he met his soon-to-be wife, Anne Eliza Clifford Lewis. Everyone called her Cliff. Sure, that's what you want your wife to be called. Hey, meet Cliff. Hi. (laughs) Hey. I've got a vagina. Uh Uh-huh. They got hitched in 1853 and soon had uh, their first and, it turns out, only child. His name was Charles. They called him Charlie. Charlie. Since Thompsonian medicine was no longer the way to go, Pemberton started a wholesale retail drug business that specialized in substances used in the composition of chemical remedies. Okay. And to help, he got a, he got a graduate degree in pharmacy, <clears throat> which I don't know what that meant in 1831. Sure. You know, you go to CVS University, grab right. a pharmacy degree. Right. This was when the- Bing, fr- bang, boom. The, 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 this, the first Rite Aid pharmacy op- uh, college opened up around That's right. 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 RAU. Uh, his business was somewhat successful, and he went through several partners over the next 10 years. Then the U.S. Civil War broke out in 1861. Mm, good times. Pemberton's uncle, John C. Pemberton, was a respected soldier who had fought in the Seminole and American, Mexican-American Wars and was now a general for the Confederacy. So <clears throat> Pemberton decided to join and fight with the South. He helped organize a group of older men in Columbus and was said to have served with distinction. Yeah. Pemberton earned the rank of lieutenant colonel in the 3rd Georgia Cavalry Battalion. His uncle played an important part in the war, being defeated <clears throat> and surrendering during the critical siege of Pittsburgh. Okay. So, <clears throat> yeah. So he's good shit. The South surrendered on April 9th, 1865. The war was over. And what's good is, as people will find, they let, they let it go pretty easy. Yep. No grudges held. Unfortunately, telegraph lines had been destroyed during the war, and word of surrender had not gotten back to the boys in Columbus. Okay. Union general in charge, James Wilson, led an attack on the city. On April 16th, seven days after the end of the war, Pemberton was engaged in a sword fight on horseback. He was slashed with a sword across his torso and then shot. Oh, my God. He did recover from his wounds, but his recovery included using morphine as pain medicine. Yeah. The use of morphine was incredibly common at the time, and Pemberton, like many, became a morphine addict. Perfect. Everyone was using it. So many soldiers were addicted to morphine due to their injuries that morphine addiction became known as the soldier's disease. Oh, shit. All right. Estimates say as many as 400,000 vets were addicts. That's a lot. That is a lot. That's a lot of dudes. Yeah. That's a lot of morphine. Yeah. That is a lot of fucking morphine. Morphine. I got it. 
I, I wish it hadn't happened. Sure. But I got it. We all feel like that. Well, now we all feel like morphine addicts. Thank you. Because of that joke. All right. Just let it go. <clears throat> it wasn't hard to figure out. They wore a leather strap and a small bag around their necks. Inside. <laughs> like St. Bernard junkies? <laughs> Inside they had morphine in a needle. Around their necks? I don't know. What, I don't know why. I think he's starting to use morphine. Yeah, well, he's got a bag around his it's neck. It's exactly what I'm saying. It's a telltale. Imagine if that's what the heroin addicts did today. Uh, Just carried around a sack around their neck. Be like, great. Oh, look at that. Hey, look at Junkie. Hey. At the bank. Look at you. Look at you with your little morphine pouch. <laughs> From a medical journal at the time, quote, no plan of medication that has been so carelessly used and thoroughly abused and no therapeutic discovery that has been so great a blessing and so great a curse to mankind than the hypodermic injection of morphine. So people, I mean, people are just junking it up in the streets and wherever, right? Everywhere. I mean, it's, it's just four, 400,000 people for this time is a shitload of people. So people would, yeah. Wow. Yeah, everyone's just junking it up all over the place. Ugh. Junking It Up is actually also a, a show that I host. Um, it's also a band. Uh, is it? Junking yeah. It Up really yeah, good. Junkin they're, good. They're good, yeah. yeah they they're play great. a lot of bottles. <clears throat> After the war, Morphine Man Pemberton returned to work at his pharmacy. This oh, so cool. he's now... Oh, Jesus. What? Do you, what? Wait. He's all. He's junking it up. Yeah, he's on morphine. And he's a pharmacy. Fuck yeah, he is. And pharmacies have access. I got everything. Yeah, but at this point, morphine's totally legal. You can just right. grab that shit. Right. Anywhere. You can go in any, any, any Safeway or... It's gum. Ralph's and just be like, hey, man, I want some... Also uh, a pack of morphine. Mustard. <laughs> Take some morphine. Uh, these pickles and the morphine. Oh, and some tampons. Oh, the, my wife. After the war, uh, so he opens a pharmacy. They didn't have tampons. <clears throat> right? You know what? That's a, that's a history subject I don't want to get into. I don't know what was happening. When the... I'm sure it was just a fucking nightmare. Ugh. I mean, it's 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 a nightmare now, <laughs> right? Well, I don't know how many friends you just made, but well, maybe. no, I mean, but I no, I'm not talking about like for the dudes. It's a nightmare <laughs> for the dudes, but I mean, in general, it's like you cope. Like I don't ever. There's yeah. never a woman who's like, oh, thank yay, yay. Well, when they're well, they that's be, true. Yeah. Actually, you have heard that. <laughs> I've actually said that before. You did. Thank fucking God. <laughs> What a weird week this has been. You know, it'd be worse as if it was the 1830s. <laughs> oh God! <laughs> then we'd have to use drapes. <laughs> so he developed. <laughs> there at his, at his pharmacy, he developed. <laughs> he developed patent medicines. Okay. These were big at the time. There were many guys offering many types of cures with their concoctions. Although they pretty much all used the same ingredients: vegetable extracts with a lot of oil and some. Morphine. Right. Oh. Well, do you need the vegetable extract? No. There were no regulations at the time, so these mixtures could easily lead to death. Like, Good. Like bath salts. Right. <clears throat> there was no proof that they were effective, but they were openly sold and claimed all sorts of cures. The drug makers said their fixtures could cure virial, venereal disease, tuberculosis, colic, indigestion, female complaints, and even cancer. <laughs> okay. What? Well, Fe- female complaints? You guys talk about female no, complaints? Oh, cancer. Female complaints. We've, we're all looking for a cure. You heard my tampon rant earlier. Can you do the dishes just once? Oh, God. You know what? Take this. Oh. <laughs> do whatever you like, honey. There we go. That's where I need That's her. That's what I'm talking Docile. about. That's a good girl. She's a good girl. <clears throat> Cough medicine usually contained morphine. 
There was an anti-diarrhea medicine called Dr. Fowler's Strawberry and Peppermint Mixture. <laughs> Dr. Fowler's? Dr. Fowler's Strawberry and Peppermint Mixture. And it cured diarrhea? These will stop really loose boom-booms. <laughs> Which... The doctor came by and gave you your boom-boom medicine. <laughs> they contained 15% alcohol and one-fifth of a grain of morphine per fluid ounce. A grain is... Is literally like like a grain of wheat. That's the measurement. Okay. So, so a nice chunk. Per fluid ounce, one fifth of a grain. <laughs> so a you're seeing that's you're a seeing, lot of that's morphine. Oh, yeah. Uh, there were also and also you inject this diarrhea medication. Oh yeah, shoot it into your eyeballs. <laughs> shoot it through your cock. There were also Bateman's drops that cured rheumatism, pains, hysterias, gallstones, gout, jaundice, and respiratory problems. A lot of the, it's a lot of the, it, and it really all is just doing the same thing, right? Which is all, just numbing you. It's fucking horseshit. The mixture that mixture had a forty-eight point nine percent alcohol and one point nine grains of opium per ounce. So that's just wow. shit face material. You were supposed to give two drops to a child for who was two days old. What? What do you mean, what? What do you mean? You can't be junking it up in babies. Five drops for a five-day-old baby. Five, uh, what? Well, okay, here's something. What? Your two-year-old, your two-day-old child is going to be five days old yeah. soon. So it sounds like a bad first fucking week. <laughs> Ten-year-olds would get half a teaspoon. Ten-day-olds? Ten-year-olds. Ten-year-olds would get half a teaspoon. Oh, these are days or years? No, that, well, I was doing days before. And now a ten-year-old gets a, a, a ten-year-old gets a t- yeah half a teaspoon. That's a lot of for a ten, for a kid. That's a lot of actually just because actually a lot of morphine. Just because. <laughs> yeah, right. She's like, man, I give I give my baby a, a five drops of this stuff, and just he is just solid at that. He's point. not. I mean, he he's he's honestly so go look at him in his room. He's sleeping like a dead body, just laying right on the floor. He's been in there for seven months. Just laying on the floor. I mean, great medicine. I really recommend it. Once he gets up, I'm going to teach him how to read. Next, Pemberton moved to Atlanta, became a partner in the firm Pemberton Wilson Taylor and Company in 1870. Their manufacturing lab had thirty-five thousand dollars worth of the latest equipment. It was written about in the imagine Atlanta- seeing that latest equipment now. Oh, You'd be like, guys, yeah. this is pathetic. Great beaker, bro. <laughs> It was written about in the Atlantic Constitution, quote, a magnificent establishment, one of the most splendid chemical laboratories that there is in the country. It was onward and upward. Two years later, he became a trustee of the Atlanta Medical College. Then he started a pharmaceutical business in Philadelphia and started cranking out his stuff in mass. Now, remember, he's still a fucking morphine addict. Right. Some of his patented medicines. Dr. Sanford's Great Invigorator. For banging. Eureka Oil. For banging. Indian queer hair dye. Gay banging. Triplex liver pills. Drunk banging. Gingerine. Redheaded banging. And lemon and oil and orange elixir. Nice little drink. And the greatest liver medicine in the world. That doesn't he already have a liver medicine on the market? He just stopped. He just stopped like trying. I'm out doing myself. He was like, fuck it. This is just the best stuff ever. Sure. But it was not to be. In 1872, he filed for bankruptcy. One of his creditors said he was, quote, honorable and industrious, but lacks good management. He also had no ability to save money and constantly gave it away to family and friends. And to top it off, there were two business fires, one in 1874 and another in 1878. In the second fire, he lost 20,000 of his stock. 
Only half was recovered by insurance. But he continued on with his career. In 1881, he served on the state, first state examining board to licensed pharmacists in Georgia. Okay. Oh, boy. The gardeners are here. Whacking those beans. But even more financial ruin was around the corner. In 1883, he came down with an unknown illness. Not good at that time to have well, an unknown illness. Yeah, but also a morphine addict coming down with an unknown illness might just be morphine addict. No, give him some morphine. <laughs> That's what you do. Uh, he had taken on a new partner, local businessman Asa Candler. Somehow, Pemberton lost all of his lab equipment and stock of drugs to Candler while he was ill. Pemberton called Candler, quote, predatory. So Candler took the ship. Yeah, he just took everything and fucking bailed. Pemberton was said to have been left in utter ruin. <clears throat> the 1880s were the time of industrialization, and with that came more and more work and frantic lifestyles. George Beard coined the term neurasthenia. Fuck, I looked it up before. We still use it today. Neurasthenia. It was a disease of the time with neurotic psychosomatic, particularly amongst the uh, upper class. So it's fucking in your head. It's like affluenza. It's psycho- it's psychosomatic symptoms. It's you're, you're right. yeah, it, but it's also. I mean, it can be true. It's probably anxiety. It's probably a bunch of different shit, right? Well, look, when you got all that money, stressful. Right. Uh, <clears throat> that led to nerve tonics like Huxley's Nervigor. God, I, I, I want to go back to this time and just right? drink these things. <laughs> fucking to have nerve tonic? Well, if you're anxious and someone gives you morphine, yeah. it's fucking awesome. You're, and not, by the you're way, not anxious anymore. Not different at all from today. No. We just have better fucking drugs. We have much drugs. better drugs. Uh, there are also Dr. Hammond's nerve and brain tablets. <laughs> well, I'm just going to take a brain tablet and go to bed. <laughs> huh? Yeah, I've had some nerve tonic, and I uh, got rid of my diarrhea with some raspberry lemonade. And now I'm just going to have a brain tablet. Call it a night. Advertising on patent medicines exploded. St. Jacob's Oil, a anti-neuralgic tincture that was made of turpentine, ether, and alcohol. Holy shit. Spent 500000 annually on ads. What is, what is it? Turpentine? Turpentine, ether, and alcohol. I mean, that is a very deadly combination. Girl, you never had turpentine? Turpentine. Girl, you want a shot of turpentine? Make you feel turpentine. Turp- turpentine. This turpentine. I don't know if I would use the term turpentine. Turpentine. And you just call everyone a saint. A saint. Hey. Um, St. David. Yeah, I'm not seeing that. You can't hear him whacking those weeds? Maybe a little bit, but I think it's okay. Um, uh, so did the uh, W.T. Hansen Company sure. spend a lot on advertising for their, quote, pink pills for pale people. <sighs> <laughs> yeah. Uh-huh. Yeah. Oh, man. Yeah. Oh, that is some good shit right there. <laughs> Wipe these tears away for a minute. That really hit me good. Pink pills for pale people? Oh. Just, uh, I guess it makes you not pale. Oh, there's no, first of all, there's no way it works, but just terrific. Oh. Clocks, calendars, pens, almanacs, pocket knives, matchbooks, and mirrors were given away with patent medicine ads printed on them. 
pretty much exactly what happens today. Oh, you got God. tons of so many pens and shit. Oh, I just want a pink pill so bad. I know, bad. right? Don't you want a pink pill for a pill person? I'm English. I need one. Yeah, you do need one. I burn. Can't be out long. Hillsides were clear cut and giant billboards were propped up. But money was the god of the time. Quote, most Americans are willing to put up with fraud and hype in the name of individual rights and democracy, particularly if there is money to be made. At least nothing's changed. (laughs) Hey, welcome to our game plan forever. So nothing's different. Even a scoundrel was admirable if he was rich enough. But it was still a rough game. Only about 2% of these drug mixtures had any success. So Some people ma- are just cranking them all out. Yeah, but, n- but nothing's most of, working. Most of, it's not that they're not working. They're just not catching on. Like, like weight loss pills. Even the ones that, that didn't work, you know, some of them became very successful. Just because? Because the word of mouth or whatever. And also because they were, you would fuck, it would drug you. Yeah. So you wouldn't make you fucking high as shit. So you'd be like, it's good. It's good. I don't know if the brain tablets work as well as they say they do, but all I know. What was they talking about? I felt really coffee. My head was funny, but then I took this and now I'm like. She's had a lot of brain tablets. She's just. I sound like Bill Cosby. She took too many brain tablets and now she's what the doctors call causing out. This is great. She's causing out right now. Um. Soda water was sold in drugstores, and some also made claims of curative pow- powers. <laughs> Just, that's I mean, great. why wouldn't you? Oh, uh, yeah. The, Makes uh, you taller. There was the Moxie Nerve food, Ooh. which was a ta- uh, you could get that in a soda shop. This was the war on nerves. <laughs> it, that said it cured insomnia, nervousness, softening of the brain, it cured softening of the brain, or yes. it, soft, it cured softening of the brain. Yeah, it would make your brain less soft. Like if your brain hard was to soft, fight them. If hard bra- to fight them. If your brain was prove them wrong. <laughs> it also cured paralysis. That's a hard. It one seems to like <laughs> it seems like it probably caused paralysis. <laughs> That's a hard one to prove. That yeah, I mean. You would give it to someone with paralysis, and they wouldn't get up, and you'd be like, oh, you need more. Or wh- how would that work? Like, that's a really simple one to... Like, there's one... You That means you just take it once. You get one one drink, and you're like, this didn't work. Oh, he's jogging now. Yeah, he's jogging around the block. Also, there was Hires Root Beer, which we still have. Hires? Hires, H-I-R-E-S. I don't know it. You haven't seen it? Oh. Uh, I'm sure it might be, it might be gone store. now, but it was around uh, maybe 20 years ago. Uh, it, that claimed it had 16 wild roots and berries to purify the blood and make rosy cheeks. Hey, Ro- if the, for those people whose pink pale pills aren't working. The tonics were sometimes mixed with hard liquor. Love it, because you're health nuts. And then came cocaine. Uh, ha, 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 ha. In 1884, an Austrian doctor uh, said he had been able to anesthetize the surface of the human eye using a solution of cocaine hydrochloride that had been taken from Peruvian cocoa leaves. So he really did find cocaine. Yeah. It was actual cocaine, and he put it in someone's eye. But didn't it... But did, it did... It was effective, right? I mean, Like, for, didn't it help numb? Are they using a leaf blower? Yeah, he's using a leaf blower. Look at these guys. Oh, I didn't know you used Gilberto's. <laughs> That's our. Those are our gardeners. Gilberto's. 
You know, if you guys need gardening uh, help, uh, Gilberto's is the official gardeners of the Dollop Podcast. Gilberto's, we wear bandanas over our faces. <laughs> He brought cocaine. So, he basically so he, brought cocaine back and was like, yeah, you can well, anesthetize. He, he, he discovered it and he told everybody. And then medical researchers in Europe and the United States jumped on the new anesthetic and began to use it in surgery. Right. Immediately. Everyone started checking out what cocaine could do. Sigmund <laughs> Freud. Sounds like Studio 54. Yeah. Sigmund Freud wrote, quote, a song of praise to this medical substance. A song? A song of praise. You, meaning that he just sings he its t- praises. He, he didn't yeah. write a song. He wrote a song of praise. That was what he... But that's it. He didn't write it. Are you saying he didn't write a song? No, he didn't. Maybe. He could have been. He was so high on cocaine, he could have. Well. If you've got some pain in your brain, just try a little bit of cocaine. Oh, my God. We found this whole drawer full of songs at Freud. And the Freud dancers, aren't they beautiful? Look at them. We found a whole drawer full of Freud songs to cocaine. That's right. That's right. Cocaine began uh, to be used as a treatment for drug addiction. Well. <laughs> Alcoholism, depression, Well, fatigue. I'll tell you, in my experience with cocaine, it's, it's always cured all those things. It does do that. You, get, you then, feel rested and you don't want to drink. But the next day, you feel fine. A little cocaine. I've never done it. I wouldn't know. Never? I've never done any drugs. Me either. Just one year after the Austrian. I, I haven't either. Just one year after the Austrian doctor's discovery, uh, cocaine was being used everywhere. It was now everywhere in the U.S. 1855 was a year of, quote, coca-mania. Mm. Mm. They still hold that in San Jose. <laughs> <laughs> cocaine was used in patent medicines, ointments, sprays, hypodermic injections, suppositories for hemorrhoids. Now, when I heard that, when I read that, I was like, that's fucking awesome. Yeah. Why can't that still be a thing? Where you, to, if you have a bad, painful hemorrhoid. Yeah. You just fucking stick some cocaine in your butt. Yeah. Well, the problem is your butt doesn't shut up. <laughs> keeps telling you fucking stories that go nowhere. And then this other toilet I was at this one time. You're like, oh Jesus, bud, shut the fuck up. Uh, but what? So really, though, if you think about it, like, so you you have this sort of self fulfilling like, people are using cocaine. To cure things, and cocaine makes you think crazy thoughts. Yeah. So you're like, oh, I don't want to cure it. Cocaine. Cocaine cures everything. Yeah. Just do a little cocaine, and you'll be fine. You know, I actually came up with another cure. Could you imagine this era? So if everyone's fucking using cocaine, it sounds like everyone's fucking taking it. Right. Can you imagine how horrendous that, the Uh, fucking horrendous business ideas that came out of uh, that time, uh, and just the endless ideas that were garbage, like just everyone in the country is just coming up with... Just terrible fucking, hey, man, let's make a change store. Hey, man, just, let's put birds on our hats. Like, yes. Bingo. So uh, there were many ads also. Burnett's cocaine for the hair. Oh, my God. Cures dandruff, soothes all irritation for the scalp, makes the hair grow, and gives a beautiful luster. You know, I'll, I'll be honest. What doesn't cocaine on your head do? It'd be amazing. Your <laughs> whole girl head good. goes numb. Yeah. Cocaine tooth drops. Instantaneous cure for children. Ooh. You know, my friend who's done cocaine says that when it hits your mouth, <laughs> it, you go very numb. Oh, really? Yeah. Oh, that's interesting. So that makes sense. Coca-Bola, a cocaine chewing paste, was sold for 50 cents a pouch. Oh, my God. And then there was cocaine wine. 
Vin Mariani was a tonic and patent medicine made from Bordeaux wine and coca leaves. Now, that had been around since 1863 in France. But when Americans started cranking out cocaine wine, the guy who created it in France, Angelo Mariani, was not impressed. He said American imitators made, quote, worthless so-called coca drinks that are nothing more than solutions of cocaine in inferior grades of wine shamefully prepared by unscrupulous or ignorant persons who are bringing discredit to a really useful drug. So he's a he's a French guy. Yeah, he's very <laughs> he's like, I'm a cocomelier. <laughs> You down there, you. You fucking pigs. You, uh, you, you take so much more than just putting grapes in a bottle with cocaine. Americans were just basically putting... And we made, like, Bud Light Limerita out right, of it. Right, it's exactly what we like, hey! Americans were just putting cocaine into shitty wine, which just made the wine taste bitter, but got people high. Why, why can't we still have cocaine wine? <laughs> Come on. We're all grown-ups here. Come on. The world's falling apart. Yeah, let's, let's just have some coke. Let's let's. Can I just say let's go out drinking yeah, cocaine wine? You can say it. Yeah, coke wine. Mariani's wine had seven milligrams of cocaine per dose. Dose. I don't know. What, I guess, <laughs> well, I guess glass. Yeah, right. Per well, dose. So medical. <laughs> some American cocoa wines had thirty-five to seventy milligrams of cocaine. <laughs> See, this is so American. Yeah, but you know what? Hey, sorry, Frenchie, we did it better. He's like, I like it's we we got you the, need to the use perfect, the perfect amount. amount. Gives you a small happy feeling. Ah, uh, no, actually, if you just put a bunch of it in the bottle and shake it up, then you compound it. Hey, I can't see my eyes. That means the wine's working. It was recommended one should take a wine glass three to four times a day. This is a great era. <laughs> this is a great era. Someone, what was happening? Everybody could just do cocaine. Some wine brands said kids should only get half that dose. Oh, fucking narcs. <laughs> Quacks. Pemberton was in on the wine coca. From one of his ads in 1885. The most successful tonic of the age, Pemberton's French wine, Coca, recommended by 20,000 eminent physicians for... <laughs> I love that this... Now, this is a guy on Blow making an ad. Yeah, it's like 20,000 people love it. They fucking love it. Like 20,000 guys, they just take it all the time. You just take it. You just keep taking it. I'm going to go for a jog. No, you just came back from jogging. We have I work know, to I do. I know, but let's jog again. Stop moving your mouth. I can't stop taking medicine. Well, your mouth looks like it's a. It looks so, like Billy Idol's living in your mouth. So much medicine to take. It's Is it medicine? I don't know. I'm going to run. Okay. Uh, it was for the cure of all nervous afflictions. <laughs> okay. That's the best. Yeah, cocaine, all. take the nerves down. All. Yeah, that, that's, that's true. Um, We've all seen the end of Goodfellas. You know how cocaine makes you stress less. It is pleasant to take. It will prove itself beyond price. Another ad. <laughs> French wine coca strengthens and exhilarates. Coca, a wonderful invigorator of the genital organs and removes all physical and mental exhaustion. I mean, sign me up for this one. Right? This one gets your fucking genital organs all <laughs> Okay, yeah, they really you have to keep out. outdoing each other. Yeah, right. Not yeah. only will... Okay, uh, now it'll make your dick hard and all your problems go away. Your vagina gets puffy. <laughs> what? Don't help, Barry. Um, it will also cure physical and mental exhaustion, the best known remedy for morphine and opium habits. Imagine. <laughs> That's just the greatest. Uh, sick headache, neuralgia, wakefulness, loss of memory, nervous tremors, melancholy, etc. Sold by Pemberton and Gresham, sole proprietors. 
God. Another ad. Cocoa wine is a delightful tonic, regulates the bowels, liver, and kidneys to perfection, and is, quote, a boon to suffering humanity. I mean, really ambitious stuff. (laughs) Uh, Yeah, you'll ship more, and the world's problems will go away. If you feel out of sorts, blue, or melancholy, a few doses of Pemberton French cocoa wine will make you well and happy. Under its influence, all things in nature seem to be at work for your good. And this is all very true about cocaine. And you'll experience a feeling of indescribable ease, contentment, and satisfaction. Oh, man. Also, you're going to be an asshole to your friends. (laughs) Coca is the most wonderful invigorator of all the sexual organs and will cure seminal weakness, impotency, etc., while all other remedies fail. Fuck yes. Mm. Fuck yes. It's a happy dick drink. It's just the best. It's every. It's that it basically said everything. Listen, drink this wine every day, and all your problems go away. Cocoa wine. But there was pushback against, from who? Right. Um. Um. Against everyone, including children, from taking cocaine in all forms. What? Atlanta. You're Constitu- telling me kids can't do cocaine? The Atlanta Constitution wrote a critical article of cocaine and said that people would soon be demanding a uh, remedy for the cocaine habit. Pemberton, yeah, re- Pemberton responded with his own article. Quote, it is perfectly wonderful what cocoa does. It is the very best substitute for morphine. It supply, as he knows, it supplies that the place of that drug curing the patient of addiction without inconvenience or pain. We Americans are a great army of nervous in- invalids. <laughs> sure. A little cocaine will put that fire out. What a thing, what a thing to write. Yeah. Fucking argue. <laughs> look, we're well, just he's fucking co- awful. He, he's we're, we're all, okay, look, Americans are a fucking mess. He's coked out of his tits. Coco promotes robust health, tremendous physical and mental activity, and long life. I wish it were in my power to substitute coca and compel all who were addicted to the use of opium, morphine, alcohol, tobacco, or other narcotic stimulants to live on the coca plant. Yeah, yeah. So he's pushing that shit, Fuck bro. yeah. The temperance movement had been gaining steam in the 1800s, and by November of 1885, the Atlantic Council voted to end the drinking of alcohol beginning on July 1st, 1886. Wait, and the drinking of alcohol. Alcohol. Oh, so pro. Okay, right. So Pemberton started working on a new French wine coca that did not have wine in it. <laughs> that, that's amazing to be like, well, we've got to eliminate alcohol. Keep but, the cocaine. But blow is perfect. Blow is fine. Uh, he mixed different food flavors and oil citrus flavors and added sugar. He kept tinkering with it. Calling, He's making Coke food? Calling it a temper temperance drink. Down the street at Jacob's Pharmacy, the soda counter would do test runs for him. At some point, he settled on a formula. He had taken on two partners, Frank Robinson and David Doe. They were advertising men and had come up with a new color printing device. But no one really was interested in the color ads, so the men sat down to come up with a name for the new temperance drink. Other similar tonic at the time were Botonic Blood Balm. I don't think I would take that one. Uh, Definitely a round of those. Copeland's Cholera Cure. (laughs) Catchy. Pierce's Pleasant purgative pellets i love how alliteration was the key <laughs> that that was ad wizardry are you are you, are you sensing a a sort of pattern here? yes <laughs> goff's giant globules <laughs> and radway's ready relief goff goff goffs goffs g-o-f-f goffs they're not even using alliteration right at goffs robinson made a suggestion coca-cola which was <laughs> That's right. 
This is cornflakes all over again. <laughs> Which was basically just the name of the two main ingredients. Then they made the first ad. Coca-Cola syrup and extract for soda water and other carbonated beverages. This intellectual beverage and temperance drink contains the valuable tonic and nerve-stimulant properties of the coca plant and cola nuts and makes not only a delicious, exhilarating, refreshing, and invigorating beverage, but a valuable brain tonic and a cure for all nervous aff- affections, sick headache, neuralgia, hysteria, melancholy, etc. The be- peculiar flavor of the Coca-Cola delights every palate. It is dispensed from the soda fountain in the same manner as any of the fruit syrups. P.S. Pemberton, chemist and sole proprietor. It sold decently in Atlanta. Pemberton went back to his lab uh, and back to coming up with other medicines. Robinson took over the production and advertising of Coca-Cola. The 14 Georgia soda fountains served Coca-Cola in that year. Now, Prohibition had officially kicked off in July in 1886 in Atlanta, but it seemed it wasn't really enforced because you could still buy stuff like Duffy's Pure Malt Whiskey for medicinal use. (laughs) Oh, so good. Hey, I need some uh, medicine. You got any of that whiskey back there? Yeah, yeah, take a shot of medicine. Here, guys, I'm serving medicine. Oh, boy, I'm going to need some more medicine. Yeah, yeah, take another rip of that medicine. Keep lining them up. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Pemberton was selling about 720 bottles a day of French wine cocoa, which he now called a temperance drink. So he just renamed his wine. Who's enforcing this (laughs) prohibition? Nobody. Uh, It also had increased powers, according to him. Ads now said people lived for over 120, 130, 140, even 150 years old by drinking it. So there was no, like, nobody was in charge of advertising bullshit at this point. There's absolutely no one in charge. This is... Um, You'll live to be 140. Your dick's never been harder. This is the uh, free market without regulation. Yeah. Prohibition was not long for the world in Atlanta. Just 10 months after it started, it was over. People wanted to drink, and yeah. clearly they weren't being able to stop it. David Doe left the Coca-Cola business, uh, so one of his partners is out. And, an, and new partners came in, pharmacist M.P. Alexander and Wolfolk Walker. Walker would be the salesman of Coca-Cola, and also, young Charlie Pemberton started working at the company again, though he wasn't now so young. He was 33 years old. Charlie was now known well, for but his... But he drinks Coca-Cola, so he's going to... I mean, he's like yeah. an eighth of the way through his life. Charlie was now known for his hard drinking and womanizing. All right. On June 6th, Pemberton applied for a patent for Coca-Cola, and he was granted it on June 28th in his name only. Prick. Pemberton fell ill again, as he did before. Yeah. Yeah. Then eleven. What do you think it's from? I can't imagine. Then that eleven healthy lifestyle he's been living. The <laughs> last morphine and blow. For years, yeah. <laughs> then eleven days later, Pemberton sold two thirds of his Coca Cola rights to a soda fountain owner named Willis Venable and George Loans, who was an old friend. Pemberton got one thousand two hundred one dollars of that. Twelve hundred was an interest free loan, which would come out of his future profits. From the one-third of the company he had left. What? He basically sold it all for a dollar. Okay. And a loan. <laughs> Great. Pemberton also sold all his equipment and supplies that he used to make Coca-Cola, as well as a copy of the formula. Well, now he's what just is a, What is he doing? Well, he's a drug addict. <laughs> but, he, I mean, he's acting erratically, David. <laughs> Why? Yeah, you want the formula? Yeah. yeah will, will you give me the formula? You want the, uh, sure. You need the formula? No. Okay. Yeah. Well, how about, how about a dollar? Sure. How about a dollar? Okay. Isn't it worth a lot? Oh, I don't know. I'm going to go get a soda. Later, weirdo. 
Uh, now, there were also uh, the two guys who had come uh, to the company, right? The guys we just talked about, Alexander and Walker. Right. New partners. Yeah. When they heard about the sale... They were over the moon. That was when they learned that Pemberton had secured the patent in his name only. Oh, right. Even though they were part right. business partners. So uh, one pulled out of the business and took his investment and went back to Tennessee the next day. Now, Robinson and Walker were accusing Pemberton of conspiracy to ruin the business. What Robinson didn't know was that Alexander had left because Pemberton had put the patent in his name. So this other, so this, so so this is another. Say anything? So this is different. We're talking about there are yeah, so, there there are several guys now involved in the business. So there's there's Alexander and Walker who yeah. came in late, and then there was Robinson and Doe who were the two advertising guys who came in. So right. Robinson was the So you had those four, four guys, and then. Uh, so one of them left, right? And I believe Doe might have left by now, just taken off because uh, it was he thought it was bullshit. So now you have Robinson and Walker and Pemberton. Pemberton. So now Alexander leaves, and this is when Robinson finds Robinson doesn't know that Pemberton has sold off or put the patent in his name right. and then sold it off. So. But that's why Walker left. Yeah. So Walker just didn't even say anything. Right. Right. Cool dude. So two weeks later, Pemberton told Robinson he'd gotten a patent for Coca-Cola as the sole, sole owner and then had sold two-thirds of the rights. And he was like, He's like any more good news, asshole? <laughs> what? I can't believe what I went into a fucking business with a cocaine morphine addict God. that this wouldn't work out. He's making weird decisions. Now Robinson, It's like he's not all there. Now Robinson's furious. He consulted with a lawyer, John Candler. Oh, now, John Candler. Candler is the brother of Asa Candler, the guy who had, when Pemberton fallen ill, taken all the equipment. Oh, right. Made. Okay. <laughs> so he wanted he wanted a Candler to see if he didn't think he could have our so rights. He, go, he goes over there to see if he has a case, and he's like, yeah, I actually bought all that equipment off that guy for two bucks. Yeah, my so, brother sold it to me. Yeah. So, uh, so Candler goes to see Pemberton, who is now bedridden. And Pemberton tells Candler that his partners were mistaken. Quote, they have got no interest in Coca-Cola whatever. I have done what they say, but I never did give them any rights in it. I don't make much difference, though. Even if they did have the rights, I don't know how you would get any money out of me. So he's basically saying they don't have the rights. And even if even if they did, I ain't got no cash. So I'm a drug addict. Things are good. Candler then passed on the case. This has been the shareholders meeting. This <laughs> Uh, Candler then passed on the case because there was no money in it. Now, remember, there are two other partners right. that he brought in, Loans and Venable. Okay. And they had been made partners to promote Coke, but they didn't want to promote Coke now. Venable sold his shares to Loans, who then sold his shares to Walker. Okay. And a new investor, Mrs. Dozier. Okay. Venable then sold... The rest of his shares to Joseph Jacobs of Jacobs Pharmacy, which is the first place that served Coca-Cola. Okay. Venable and Loins also left the equipment and stock in the basement of Jacobs Pharmacy. Okay. So Jacobs is making Coca-Cola at his soda fountain, and Pemberton is supposed to get a royalty of 5% per gallon of Coke made. Right. But Pemberton starts... Bothering Jacobs for advances on sales. <laughs> Jesus Christ. He's just a fucking street junkie. <laughs> hey, man, how many uh, how many gallons do they take? 
Huh? Come on, give me cut of that gallon. Oh, you know, talking I'm talking about future gallon you're, earnings. You're probably gonna sell. You're probably gonna sell like 10, me, 10, give, 10 gallons. Come on, I, 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 come on. I'll suck your dick front. for a piece of that gallon. <laughs> come on, man. Talk, fucking give me the fucking money. Coke dick, coke dick, come coke on. dick. Come on, dude. Come on. That just that's the that's the story of the beginning of Coca-Cola. Just some guy blowing another guy. Come in the on, basement. suck your dick for this gallon. <laughs> Jacobs was not pleased. In October 1887, Pemberton put an ad in the Atlantic Constitution paper. Wanted an acceptable party with 20,000 to purchase one half interest in a very profitable and well-established manufacturing business. Absolutely no risk and guaranteed 50% profit on investment. Three new investors stepped up and each paid 20,000 for one half interest in Coca-Cola. Pemberton failed to mention to the three new investors that he had already sold off two thirds of Coca-Cola. He's really he's got like shady. I mean, if we're counting, he's got, I think he's got a lot of investors. I think he's got nine investors. (laughs) Slowly, slowly made offing. <laughs> Robinson still wants justice, so he contacts Asa Candler, who five years before had managed to swindle Pemberton out of everything. Right. So this is the brother of yeah. the... Asa then put his sights on Coca-Cola. First, he contacted Jacobs, who complained about Pemberton always hitting him up for money. Asa offered to trade his Coca-Cola rights for stock in a glass company. Okay. So Asa's like, all right, check it out. I'll take your Coca-Cola rights. I'll give you stock in this glass company. And you're good to go. You you got Pemberton out of your hair. So Jacobs agrees. He's like, great. As long as fucking junkie Pemberton goes away. The next week, the glass factory burned down. Jesus. <laughs> it was not insured. Oh, God. Pemberton's new investors formed the Pemberton Medicine Company with him. All rights to manufacture his products were given to the new business. The partners immediately began making lemon and orange elixir, Coca-Cola, and other medicines. They had no idea the rights to Coca-Cola had been sent sold off. Uh, this is <laughs> it's got to be nerve wracking if you're Pemberton a little bit oh my he doesn't care he just wants to get high <laughs> then Charlie Pemberton showed up oh boy he demanded that he run the manufacturing of Coca-Cola his dad delayed making that call while Charlie went about quote throwing tantrums boozing and wheedling I don't know what wheedling is I think it's what your gardeners I looked it up, doing. I looked it up but I can't remember uh, a couple of weeks went by. Then Pemberton told his new partners that he had signed the rights over to Charlie so, some time ago. Oh, to Charlie? Yeah. Jesus Christ. <laughs> yeah, to Charlie. <laughs> but he had forgotten because he was high on morphine. Because <laughs> I was quitting cocaine at the time. So listen, you guys, <laughs> just some bad news. And they, you three each gave me 20 grand. What the but, fuck is happening? Okay, so I said... I said that my son Charlie could have all the rights to everything. But here's the deal. Here's the deal. You sold No, no, no. Here's the deal. Not my fault because I was on heroin. Okay. I'm really. You know what I mean? I was high out of my. I look at me. I was high out of my fucking mind. Yeah. No, I. So it's Charlie's business. Right. But I don't remember. Yeah. That's why it's not my fault. Why don't you remember? I saw heroin. Yeah. Okay. All right. Well. I saw morphine. Okay. You guys want to get some Coke? No, you should not be doing any more cocaine and stop selling the company to everybody. By the way, I want you to meet some new partners. God damn it! (laughs) Meanwhile, Candler incorporated the Coca-Cola company with Charlie, right? Uh So now Asa Candler, the guy who fucked his dad out of money, is now partnering up with his son. son, Right. And a man who still had some shares, Warren, uh, as partners. So this other guy's got shares somehow. Within months, Asa Candler bought out Charlie for $500. Then he bought almost all of Walker's stake. 
Walker then hit the road. Candler must be really glad he met the Pembertons. Right? Yeah. Candler, Walker then hit the road selling Coca-Cola around the South, and Robinson would be the guy manufacturing it, while Asa owns most of the company. Right. Point. Pemberton then convinced his partners that Coca-Cola was trademarked, but the formula was not. This meant they could make imitations. Right. So now, so now he doesn't own. He doesn't own the company. He doesn't own the company. He doesn't own the rights. But he's going to make the same thing. Just call it something else. That's his. That, that's that's what he's. T- so now he's got these guys who invested so much money. He's like, hey, you guys, I got a new idea. We're going to make it. Just call it something else. But we already make the goddamn I thing. No, we're going to make it. Stop competing with the business you sold us, you motherfucker. You're going to make it more. God damn it. This is. This is. This should be. This this, origin, this, how this origin story of Coca Cola is the is the ultimate description of cocaine use. <laughs> so they tried cranking out what they called first yum yum mm. and then Coke K O K E. They did not catch on. Then one of the partners walked away on August sixteenth, eighteen eighty eight. While John uh, on August sixteenth, eighteen eighty eight, John Pemberton died at the age of 57, of stomach cancer. His obituary read, he was the oldest druggist in Atlanta and one of the best-known citizens, an especially popular gentleman. Asa Candler paid Dr. Pemberton, Dr. Pemberton a beautiful tribute of respect, speaking of his lovable nature and many virtues. He, he voiced, he said, the feelings of all present that our profession has lost a good and active member. Asa Candler even served as pallbearer one of the business partners said, quote, Dr. Pemberton was in bad health. We did not know what was the matter with him, but it was revealed he was a drug fiend. <laughs> you imagine if there were like 80 pallbearers that had all been promised. Right. We're also pallbearers. We're not. Hey, guys, there's a lot of us here. Yeah. Everybody just grab a piece or Except whatever. for five bucks, I could be a pallbearer. <laughs> you Candler too? then bought the Coca-Cola formula, which was the last thing that he had held on to that he kept selling. For uh, for six hundred dollars from Mrs. Pemberton, he also bought the remaining shares from Wolfick Walker and Miss Dozier, the last investors. In eighteen eighty nine, quite a coup. Yeah, in eighteen eighty nine, he told a reporter, "Coca Cola was introduced to the public a little over a year ago in a modest way. Its inventor was unable to devote to it the means necessary for its general introduction to the public." Eighteen ninety two, Asa Candler incorporated the Coca Cola Company, the current legal name. Two years later, Charlie Pemberton died. Oh. Oh, Charlie Pemberton died of an opium overdose. So the son yeah. was addicted to hair. To- sure. He was 40. Meanwhile, Coca-Cola took off. It was considered an intellectual beverage among rich white people. <laughs> white people are the worst. Yeah, the total worst. It makes your brain Holy better. shit, we're better than everyone because we're drinking Coca-Cola. Another reason for us to be great. Hey, to us. But true success came when the Coca-Cola company began bottling it in 1899. Now minorities who couldn't sit at soda fountains could get it. Anyone who had a nickel could buy it, and many did. Suddenly, with black people now enjoying cocaine, middle-class white people became concerned about the use of cocaine. Surely. Uh, well, now you see, you see that black people are doing it. It seems terrible. Southern newspapers reported that, quote, Negro cocaine fiends were raping white women, and the police were unable to stop them. Asa Candler caved to the racist pressure in 1903 and removed cocaine from Coca-Cola. It was replaced with more sugar and caffeine. The reason why cocaine got taken out of Coke yep. is racism. Is racism. 
It, it wouldn't be the most American drink of all time if that wasn't the case. That's just crazy. In 1908, Mrs. Pemberton fell ill. Some women went to Asa Candler and asked if he would give her $50 a month to live on. He said no, and she died in September of 1909 of cancer. When the company moved in 1910, Asa Candler ordered all documents that were related to Pemberton and other investors burned. There were no ill feelings about the success Candler had with the company. The Pemberton family believed Coca-Cola would never have been successful under John Pemberton. It would have just been lost like so many other soda tonics at the time. Today, in Coca-Cola's Atlanta Museum, tour guides tell visitors that Coca-Cola never had any cocaine in it. Really? What the fuck? They can't do that. What's their problem? <laughs> should be proud of that past. Because the guy who created cocaine was a fucking drug fiend. Tell the story. Have you been mm-hmm. on those tours? Mm-mm. You need to spice it up. Oh, I'm sure they're terrible. They're terrible. And then they, then they put sugar in it. And here, try some. How about that? Get It's crazy, but they should get... <laughs> I'm pissed about the Coca-Cola tour. They should fucking tell... And the reason why we stopped using cocaine was because they were worried that black people were raping white women. If you look over here on the right, you'll actually see some of the early bottles. Um, that's actually fascinating. You can see how much thicker the glass... Yes, that the black people were raping. You can see the glass is thicker, which they ended up having to stop because procedurally that was... Cost, yeah, yeah, can raping. I, uh, yeah, well, yes. Can I ask a question? Sure. You said something about. And, and I want to point out, everyone, there's a gift shop. So if you guys want to take pictures with this stuff at the end, there's a great opportunity. Yes, the question. But the black people raping white women? Yes. So they used the. Because they had. They yes. Drank Coca Cola? Yes. The black people were drinking Coca Cola and the white women were being. Ra- we take cash at the store. We'll take debit at the store. Is I'm there, trying to think if there's there, anything else. And there, guys, if pe- you have. Is a- there Pepsi in the store? There's no. Is there a less rapey soda drink? Oh, uh, no. But actually, this is this is a fun fact. Mm. No flash photography <laughs> on the tour while we're taking it. Wow, fucking crazy though. But it wouldn't be America if the number one drink wasn't didn't have a crazy background. I'm curious how long until we have crack beer. I still think cocaine should be in some wines. So um, I'm on record. Have the have the have the states have legalized pot? Have they started putting pot oh, yeah. in wine and stuff? No. They, remember when we did that that festival? There's uh, not. Oh no, yeah. There's but there's totally pot was, drinks. That yeah. was a pot drink. Yeah. Yeah. Which I haven't tried it yet. It's called like Sprig or something. Sprig I think or... I gave it to you, didn't I? Yeah, but I lost. Yeah, you lost it. Yeah, I don't know what happened to my weed beverage, man. <laughs> Fucking there one minute and fucking I don't know. I'm like Pemberton with my weed sodas. Holy shit. Well, shit, dude. That's fucking crazy. And um, I want to thank Christine for her research on that. She sent that to me and she was like, I don't know if there's much here. And I read it and I was like, what? <laughs> <laughs> oh, shit. Oh, uh, yeah. Well. All right, guys. I hope you learned something today. Uh, I can't. That that felt like two episodes. Yeah, it was crazy. Jesus Christ. And I also, when I was writing it, I had to drive a diagram because I was getting so confused by all the Yeah, diagrams. no, there's a lot. Well, that's what happens when you run a pyramid scheme oh, or well, a Ponzi when you're scheme. on cocaine. Yeah. 
trying to run a business. Just selling. Just it, it turns out there's gonna be nine owners. <laughs> it's like there's not a lot of polygamy CEOs. Like where you're like <laughs> you think that nine different people are like, uh huh. You're married to him too. You are also married to. Well, him? that's strange because oh. I said I was the only. Oh. Hmm, that's interesting. All right. All right. Well, but I, and I love that a con man basically is the guy who won. Yeah. The guy who comes in and fuck just well, the this guy predatory like, yeah. asshole. Yeah. Who takes slowly but surely yeah. monopolized. Yeah. yeah. He knew yeah. what he's doing. Anyway, Pepsi it is. All right, Pepsi it is. We're signing cars. Yeah. Oh, hey there, everybody. It's Gareth, you know, from this uh, this podcast. Uh, listen, I've got some stand-up shows. I'm inviting the Garmy, the Gareth Army, to join me for. I will be in Fort Collins, Colorado, August 18th and August 19th. I will be in Minneapolis, Minnesota, August 24th through August 26th at Acme. I will be going to the UK in September. Please join me. I will be in Glasgow, September 13th, London, September 15th, Dublin, September 17th, and September 19th, Manchester, Birmingham, September 20th, Bristol, September 22nd, and Cardiff, September 24th. And then in November, I'll be in Australia. November 10th, almost sold out, I think. I'll be in Melbourne, Australia. Then I will be in Northbridge, Australia on November 15th. Adelaide, November 16th. Canberra, November 17th. Brisbane, November 18th. And then I will be in uh, Sydney on November 24th. Go to GarethReynolds.com for tickets. Garmy, let's get at it after it. Let's see you there. Hey there, people listening to The Dollop. Uh, this is Gareth. Yes, the same guy. I Listen, I have a new podcast called We're Here to Help that I'm doing with my friend Jake Johnson. It's basically a call and advice show where we don't say that we're professionals because we aren't, but we try to help people with problems that are important to them. You can listen to it wherever you listen to podcasts, and it is out right now. So go listen to We're Here to Help with Jake and Gareth. We're here to help with Gareth and Jake. I don't remember how we did it, but either way, fun. Half Hour comes out Tuesday, August 22nd, and the episodes will be out every Tuesday and Friday. We're here to help 